0: Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Brad. Uh, If we have not met, I tend to say this every week, I would love to meet you. If you look in your bulletin, you'll find my email address. And if you ever want to meet me or find out anything about the church, uh, if you email me, we'll set up a time in the next couple weeks. And a coffee uh, and something sweet or savory, whatever you like to go with it is on me and on the church. And I'd love to get to know you a little bit better and love to chat. So actually take me up on it. Take me up on it. I would love to. Get me out of the office, all right? And we'll have some coffee, and we'll chat. We'll get to know each other. Hmm. So let me start today with a very deep question, okay? How do you get your music? How do you get your music? Let me hear it. Seriously. Spotify. 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 What else? Disc? CD? Okay. The radio. You guys know what a radio is? I have one in my car. A transistor radio. All right. What, uh, any other ways? Vinyl. Vinyl. Okay. Hipster chic right there in row two. Three. Sorry. What else? Pandora. Pandora. Okay. Any other ways? Apple music. Apple music. Okay. Concerts, live and in person. All right. Good. That's a good list. That's a good list of music. Oh, well, I mention this because the ways that people get music has kind of changed in the last couple decades. Uh, I read an article by Matt Rosoff in, on CNET News, and he, the article was entitled, Fragmented Music, Fragmented Society. I thought it was really interesting, so I hope you do too. Uh, but it summarizes a discussion that's going on between music critics about the effect of modern ways of discovering new music. So discovering new music used to be a common communal experience everybody pretty much discovered the same new artists at the same time. So, for example, when the Beatles came to the United States, they performed on a show called the Ed Sullivan Show. If you know anything about music history, that was a big deal because everyone in the United States practically got exposed to the Beatles at the same time. It was a community, communal, common, shared experience. And even up and through the early 80s, people were tending to discover music either through FM radio, someone said radio, or through their friends who all listened to FM radio. Uh, But this began to change. So this communal experience of discovering new artists and new music started to shift in the early to mid 80s with this thing called imports. Now imports were a way to get music where you would order them through the mail from around the world. So they imports or importing music in the United States contributed to the popularity of punk bands and new wave music in the 80s and culminated in a new mainstream genre of quote-unquote alternative rock that really took off with the explosion of grunge music in the 90s. All right, a little history lesson here. I hope you're liking this. Um, But since then, people have continued to discover uh, new music in more and more diverse ways. So with the explosion then, of digital music or MP3s and this thing that many of you may have heard of called Napster where for a a brief couple of years people shared all of their digital music for free online uh, and it kind of got shut down because they decided it was illegal, but Napster made a big deal. And then just the internet in general, people now discover music in all sorts of different ways. So Pandora was mentioned as an example. You can hear three or four new bands you've never heard of before in an hour, Spotify, you can put together your own like CD or tape mix and share them with your friends or discover new bands all the time in all sorts of different ways. And the result is that people's musical tastes now are actually, instead of getting wider and wider, they're actually getting narrower and narrower and more distinct. And they're becoming <laughs> localized because we can choose more specifically and aim our focus towards the genres or the artists that we really, really like. One author notes that this fragmentation, this sort of no longer being a communal experience as much as an individual specific drive towards types of music that we particularly like, he laments, he says, the explosion of musical genres in the last 20 years, or ways to get your music, has eliminated he says as A, the common bond that helped contribute to or perhaps is sim- uh, sim- symptomatic of a disintegration of shared culture. Now, the implication from this article is that this musical phenomenon is one that you can see across the board in the broader culture of the United States, because we have this ability in so many other areas of our lives as well. And he's lamenting, namely, that culture is becoming more and more fragmented, for better or for worse. And that is really the big tension here, because, and it, seems because it seems like we have to choose, We like finding new things, discovering new things, we like zoning into things that we particularly like, but I think we also, and you can get this in the ways that the authors and critics are talking about music, but we also hunger for a common bond. We want to relate to the people around us. So do we have to choose? Well, I have good news for you, as I tend to do every week, I have good news for you Uh, An experience of life where we can reach beyond what is familiar to discover new things and also experience a great common bond in community is exactly the opportunity that Jesus-centered community offers us. We can have both. And you're thinking, of course, Brad, you're going to say that. You're preaching a sermon in a church that focuses on Jesus. But it's true. I really think the approach that we see in scriptures and that Jesus models to the nature and culture of the communities that surround him, if we understand those, we understand and we get to see a community that is both outward-leaning but built on this incredibly powerful and encouraging common bond in the person of Jesus. So what I want us to look at today is how we can have both, how we can reach out and even zero in on things that are outside of us, but important that we enjoy while holding on and even having a deeper experience of community. We can have both, and living in a city, living in Philadelphia, offers us this opportunity uh, because of the way God wants communities that are called by his name to live. Now, does that sound interesting? I hope so. This is really interesting to me. So... Um, I think what we're going to see is going to be really encouraging, and let's check that out this morning, and let's learn a little bit about that as we continue our six-week series here uh, called 40 Days for Philly that we're doing in the season of Lent leading up to celebrating Easter, and this week our sermon is entitled, Why I'd Be a Fool Not to Invest in Philadelphia. All right, here we go. Let me give you a little background before we read our passage for today. So this is... uh, this part of scripture we're reading is the first part of a letter that God has the prophet Jeremiah give in God's name to the Israelites who have been dragged off to captivity in Babylon. So the Israelites have been conquered by Babylon, and Babylon has a, a sort of a, what was then a, uh, a really, what's the word, forward-thinking, creative philosophy about conquering other nations. Uh, Their philosophy was not to come in and kill everyone or wipe out the culture completely by force. They didn't want to push people out of their territories, but what they did was they wanted to assimilate new people into their empire and into their culture. So instead of trying to suppress the culture directly, they would carry off the best and the brightest and large portions of the population Uh, wherever they were conquering the country, and take them to Babylon and assimilate them into Babylonian culture, turn them into Babylonians, um, and in that way increase the power and the breadth of their empire. So they weren't trying to kill or destroy everyone. They were trying to assimilate them. You will be assimilated. And so they move exiles in from all over the world, and people think that as this happened, or commentators think that as this happened to Israel, that the Israelites initially were very hesitant to move into the city, that they stayed on the outskirts of Babylon, uh, preferring to stay together, separate, um, and uh, in some ways disengaged. They didn't want to see this happen. They didn't want to be assimilated. And complicating matters were that false prophets were coming along and telling the Israelite people they would only be here for two years. Just hang in for two years, then you're going home. Don't worry about it. Now, Jeremiah comes along and he says, oh, sorry, it's going to be 70 years. And these guys, these false prophets are false prophets, but it's going to be 70 years. And so this is what the Lord says to you in verse 4 in chapter 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses. Settle down. Plant gardens. Eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've called you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. You know, a few years ago, I read a book. It was kind of trendy and hot at the time uh, that I think really seems to illustrate what God is asking the Israelites uh, to do here in in this passage. It's a book called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. It's a sociological, sort of pop social um, book that was pretty popular eight years ago or so. But in that book, Putnam describes this idea that he calls social capital. It's the idea that social networks our connections to other people have value or capital. And it consists of all of our social networks and the trust and the give and take that arise from them. Uh, And in his book and in his study and in his work, he's come to the conclusion that social capital, when it's high, when people trust other people, when people join organizations, when people volunteer, when they vote, when they socialize with friends, that it's better for those societies, that those societies do better basically across the board. Here's a quote from the book. He says, A growing body of research suggests that where trust and social networks flourish, individuals, firms, neighborhoods, and even nations prosper. What's more, social capital has the effect of mitigating or pulling back uh, the what he calls insidious effects of social economic Disadvantage. So the disparity between the rich and the poor becomes less where levels of social capital and sharing social capital are high. He goes on to say that states, states like Missouri, Alabama, you know, one of the states in the United States, that score high in the social capital index are the same states where children flourish, where babies are born healthy, where teenagers tend not to drop out of school, get involved in violent crime, or die prematurely to suicide or homicide. So where you can measure social capital, where it's the highest, society tends to do better. And with this background, he says there's two types of social capital, and this is important, I think, for where we're getting at and what God is trying uh, to encourage his communities to look like. The first type of social capital is this outreaching social capital. It's called bridging social capital. It's outward-looking it tries to encompass people from different and diverse cultural backgrounds. It can be anything. The Me Too movement uh, reached out across and is reaching out across lots of different social, ethnic backgrounds and pulling people together. Youth service organizations tend to be like this. He describes it as the uh, WD-40 of society, the grease that helps the wheels turn. That's one type of social capital. The other is bonding or inward-looking social capital. And this type of social interaction tends to reinforce distinct identities that helps people, that, that sets people apart in some ways. So ethnic fraternal organizations are an example of this. And he says that this bonding, inward-looking social capital is the superglue that holds things together. So you have the superglue that holds things together and you have the, the grease that helps the wheels of society turn. But he says with that, there's a challenge. And you can kind of feel this, this sort of outward versus inward type of sharing of relationships and resources in a social sense. And he says that it's not, there tends to be this choice between the two. And he says it's not purely just an either or, you have one or the other, but it is sort of a more or less. When one type is high, the other type is lower and vice versa. And that's a challenge. And I'm mentioning all this uh, because I think this idea of social capital can help us understand the impact we can make as we invest in and with people who seem different from us and those who seem more like us, but with one big difference (laughs) from the way Putnam describes it happening. I love his ideas, but he says it's usually a more or less. But I think when you look in passages of the Bible, and the one we're reading right now is included, that God doesn't want a more or less, or an either or. He doesn't want one to go up, the other go down. He wants both at the same time, both and. And what I'm arguing today is that the key to dramatic city-changing community is being both bridge builders and distinct in identity if we want to make our great city even better we need to be a both and community now let's take a look and see what i'm talking about in verse four it says this is what the lord almighty the god of israel says to all those i carried in exile from jerusalem to babylon build houses settle down plant gardens and eat what they produce i think the idea here is move into the city Settle down. Build houses. Grow foods. Get involved in the economy. Be permanent. Don't stay on the fringes. Invest what you have with people who are very different from you. Get in there. Don't be standoffish or isolated. Become a part of what is good and happening in the city. Now, I think it's safe to say, and I'm convinced... (laughs) that none of us in this room were dragged off to Philadelphia. All right? We're not exiles in Philadelphia. We have all either been born here and on some level chosen to stay or we've moved here on purpose. So we're in a little bit different situation. We're not here against our will or just because, you know, we're not, right? It may feel like it sometimes if you're a kid and you want to live your own life. I don't know, but We're not here kicking and screaming. We aren't being held against our will. But at the same time, it is so tempting to isolate ourselves from other people, particularly if they seem different. (laughs) And we may not do it geographically, but if we're honest with ourselves, we find ways to do it. You know, there are lots of ways to isolate ourselves socially. Let me just do a little experiment here. So uh, tomorrow you're going to get this question a lot. You're going to ask it a lot. Uh, the question is, what'd you do this weekend, or, or, not? Not what'd you do. It'd be, how was your weekend? People ask you, what? It, what do you think will be the most common response you get? How was your weekend? Let me hear it. Good, good fine. What else? Okay. Too sure. Short. Too short, okay. <laughs> what I found? Tell me if you get if you track with this too. I noticed some of you did say good and fine. But what I found is that people don't say that anymore. But that used to be the way people describe their weekend. Now, when you, well, too short, they might throw that in there. But now, when you ask people, how's your weekend? They tend to say, busy. Not good, not fine, sometimes exhausting, right? Busy. How are you? I think our most common answer today is busy, stressed. It used to be fine good. That was the non-answer. Now the non-answer is busy. Everybody's busy. We're so busy. I think that there's a whole sermon series tied up in this. I think I should come back to this and do three or four weeks. We're so busy all the time. And the thought of adding another thing or relationship or investing and in keeping relationships going, who has time for that? So, actually, I think instead of trying to carve out time to invest in other people or other things, we try and carve out time just to hole up. And uh, I'm just going to have a Netflix evening or something, whatever it might be. (coughs) Or we dive into a second thing I think we can use to isolate so easily, and that's technology. Put in your headphones, check that app, play that game. Zone into your phone and zone everyone else out. Now, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that we do this so much that people are starting to notice that as a species here in the United States, we are becoming more and more socially awkward. We're losing the ability to make friends. And they're starting to study this. And the thought is now, without an app particularly younger people, don't know what to do to meet people and start friendships. And so apps for friendship are starting to pop up that mirror dating apps, like Go Find Friends is one. If you need it, there you go. I'm not getting a cut, I promise. (laughs) And they're being launched to help people with online friending. We're becoming awkward. Not me, of course. Uh, why are you laughing? But it seems to me that God is calling us. And again, I think there's more to say here, but I'm just touching on it because I think even just touching on it, it relates. I think you can, you can feel this happening. But it feels, and it seems to me that God is calling us to invest our social capital in the people and organizations around us as opposed to our phones. And he wants our social networks to be diverse and real and active. And I'm not anti-phone, by the way. But isolation won't do. Not in this model. Not in what God is suggesting here. So what's the cure? I think there's probably a lot of little things that are helpful. But I think in West Philly we have some, uh, some nice little advantages. One of them is called the porch. And maybe not today. <laughs> it's a little rainy. I guess on your porch you do have like a roof over you. Um, but one of the great advantages I have on my block is if I walk down the street and it's not raining and keep my head up, particularly if it's warm, there's like five or six people I can walk by and chat with. And I can take 10 minutes if I want, or I can just say hello and keep going. Sometimes I need to just say hello and keep going. Um, But if I put away my phone, uh, if I take my headphones out, I pick my head up. I always look at my feet when I walk. There's a lot of opportunities to connect. How about this? Join something. Join something. You know, one of the things that's a part of the small group series that's going on in our small groups, and what we're doing right now is exercises to help help us see what God's doing around us. And the next step, obviously, is to choose one of those things, one of the good things you see happening around you in your neighborhood or in Philadelphia, and to get involved and to invest what you have, uh, to be a part of the good things that are happening, to take your social capital and get it outside of you and active in the world around you. So I want you to try something this week just to sort of get the ball rolling. It's a little exercise. It's actually, it's not that hard. This is an easy one, but it might open your eyes to some things. And that's what I'm hoping for. This week, hopefully it won't be raining too much, take every opportunity to avoid driving in favor of walking and taking SEPTA. That's step one. Now, maybe you work out in the suburbs and there's no train that goes right there. I don't know. I'm not, you know, so you can find other ways to make this work. But if you have the opportunity, walk or take SEPTA. And as you do, take the headphones out of your ears, put your phone in your pocket, and simply pay attention to what's going on around you. I know a lot of us, our strategy is actually to use our technology as a defense mechanism to keep people away from us. I get it. I know there are times where. You know, you might even put your headphones in and you're not even listening to anything, right? You just don't want to be bothered on the green line by someone or something. Just for a week, don't do that. You can go back to it after a week. You may not want to, but you can, all right? For this week, take the headphones out, put your phone in your pocket, and just pay attention to what's going on around you. Notice what people are doing and how they're feeling. Notice the neighborhoods that you pass through Are they doing well? Are they struggling? And then in the middle of all this, ask God to speak to you. I mean, really just open up the opportunity for the Holy Spirit to nudge you or speak to you. It doesn't have to be trumpets, but to show you what's happening around you. What is God up to? Jesus famously said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So I'm trying to trick you into looking for what the Father is doing, by inviting the Holy Spirit into your life as you live it normally and sort of taking some of the distractions away so that maybe you're able to actually pick up on what the Bible calls the gentle whisper of the Holy Spirit. What's challenging about the gentle whisper is it's easy to drown out a whisper, isn't it? I just, you know, just want to see if you know, the Phillies signed... Jake Arrieta or a, a pitcher I just want to. for me it's the Cubs I'm like oh did they get, did they make any free agent deals I just I just want to um, check this out. oh I just this, these headlines came in I have to read what so-and-so said in the press conference and oh this movements happening where's the you know and all those things have their place and they're important they're not wrong but I know that I do it so much that it's second nature and most of my life is spent drowning out anything else. I need space in my head. So here's a little exercise to help you do that. And then, if you want to really get something out of this, uh, journal about what you notice. Write it down so you don't forget. Take a moment. What did I see? How did I feel? What did I notice? Where might God be? And as you write down what you notice, turn it into a prayer and ask God, God to come into those situations. Pray into what you see him doing. So unplug, pay attention, write it down, and pray. See what happens. You know, one thing we're doing too, I'll just plug this right now, is David Brodsky is our pastoral intern, and he's collecting stories. A big part of this 40-day series is telling your story, sharing your story, encouraging other people with your story. So he's going to be filming on an iPad here after the service Anyone who would like to share uh, from our last week's um, activity or experiment or exercise, which was really easy. It was like, what do you love about Philly? How's it impacted you? And a prayer of thanksgiving. So if you want to share about what you love about Philly, uh, and then even better, if you want to share about how it impacted you, and then if you're feeling even bold, the prayer that goes with it, you can just do the first, what you love. David will be here. You'll be able to find him. He's got a beard. He'll, have, he'll be the only guy filming <laughs> with an iPad. And uh, tell your story there. That's an easy one to get started. It's a low risk, right? Everybody wants to hear what you love about Philly. But then next week, we're also going to be filming and would love to hear stories about what you notice about uh, the city around you when you unplugged a little bit. Uh, and so he'll be here and doing a lot of that all series long. So this as you probably figured, is the first aspect of a both-end community. Both-end communities are bridge builders. They look for ways to share their social capital with people who are considered sort of outside of the group, not that they want to draw a distinct super line and say, you guys over there, but they find ways to contribute to the society around them. They're bridge builders. So the first thing we see is that God is encouraging the Israelites to move in, lay down roots, invest in the city, be bridge builders. But to be a both-and community, there has to be a second part, right? The Uh, both-and. So let's see what this is. Verse 6 says, Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Now, there's a key implication here. The the center of that verse is increase. The whole point of getting married and having children is to increase increase. So, to increase, though, you can't blend in. Remember, the Babylonian philosophy of building an empire was to assimilate people, to turn them into Babylonians, so that you couldn't tell the difference anymore. God here is saying, fully aware of what the strategy of the Babylonians is don't blend in, increase, grow. But if you become just like a Babylonian, you won't increase, you'll disappear. God's instruction was to increase, and as such, he means stay distinct, be different. And this was Jesus' instructions to his followers in the first century. He said this, you're the light of the world. Have you heard this? A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. To shine, to be seen. You have to be distinct. You need good deeds that are unexpected. If you're doing good deeds that everyone's doing, well, no one's going to notice. Maybe even just the fact that you're doing good deeds, right, is different. So even as the israelites are encouraged by god to invest to share what they have the people around them he's saying do it in a way that shines that's different that's attractive that shows that i'm real and different and loving and good and all the best things we know about our father in heaven are displayed in the way that you're investing stand out be distinct both and communities, remain distinct. Putnam calls this type of social capital bonding. And according to him, it centers around common beliefs or backgrounds. In his understanding, it's inward in nature. What's different about Jesus' community is that there is an inward stability connected to him that leads to an outward focus. Jesus wants his followers to be different so that they will shine a light to the world around them. And the way they're different is the good deeds. So as we draw closer to Jesus, it's not so we can huddle up and hold on together with all of whatever is happening around us. And there's a lot of whatever happening around us. The the coming together is to go outward. I don't think I'm saying anything you haven't heard before. We know this, right? It's just, it makes sense. But somehow it can get lost. We can lose one or the other, but we're meant to be a both and. Not a less, more or less, or either or. And I think this is how Jesus offers a way to maximize the things that Putnam is talking about when he talks about social capital. Both bridging and bonding to change the world for the better. And we can see God's plan for bridge-building yet distinct communities even as we continue to read this passage. So in verse 7 it says, Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to it. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Here we see it both and community. It's it's one that is actively seeking the best for their city. They're bridge-building. They're investing They're seeking the peace and the prosperity of the city, right? In part, by doing something distinct to them, which is praying for the city, which is a very Israelite way to live. That's a distinctive behavior to their community. And the result is peace. Seek the peace. Now, peace here is this really cool Hebrew word, shalom. Maybe you've heard this before. But it, it means peace, but the peace here is not just the lack of war. It's much more far and broader in its implications. It's an all-encompassing term that no word in English can quite get to. It entails justice. It entails prosperity. It entails well-being. And the closest expression that I found in the English language to it is flourishing. Flourishing. By being both outward and distinct communities, or being an outward and distinct community, the Israelites are bringing shalom to the city. They're flourishing it. Uh, Brett Reeder uh, is a guy who sort of summarized Putnam's argument in a way that I thought was really helpful when he's talking about social capital, and this is what he writes. First, it makes collective problems easier to resolve, and there's less opposition between parties. Results, this results in improved social environments such as safer and more productive neighborhoods. Second, it makes business, business transactions easier since when people trust each other, there's less of a need to spend time and money enforcing contracts. As a result, economic prosperity increases generally. Third, social capital widens our awareness of our mutual connectivity, how we're all connected to each other. This can improve the quality of our civic and democratic institutions. Fourth, It helps to increase and speed up the flow of information, which in turn improves education and economic production. Finally, it improves our health and happiness through both psychological and biological processes, which require human contact. Now, I know that's kind of a heady way to talk about this. Basically, what he's saying is more peace, safer neighborhoods, better economy, relational, connectedness, health, happiness, shalom. He's talking about shalom here in a very academic way, but he's talking about shalom, peace, justice, flourishing. When individuals and communities live in a both-and sort of way, connected to Jesus, shalom breaks out. And this is why this sermon, or the title of it, is called, Why I'd Be a Fool Not to Invest in Philadelphia. Because if you notice, at the end of verse 7, it says, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city, which I've called you. Pray for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Why would I be a fool not to invest in this city? Because if the city does well, so will I. Our well-being is linked to the well-being of Philadelphia. If the city is losing jobs, it's more likely that we'll lose our jobs. (laughs) Or a close relative or a friend will lose hers. If the city's economy is on the rise, so is your retirement and business opportunities. If crime is on the rise, we're more likely to be affected by crime in our lives. But if crime is going down, everyone's quality of life goes up. People being born this year and for the next 30 years are the people we're going to comprise the workforce that is going to lead this country and take care of me in my old age. I know you, some of you are thinking, Brad, you're 43. You're already old. <laughs> I'm talking about real old age, okay? If they don't have adults to invest in them, in role models, or if they don't have a good education or opportunities to excel, how am I going to be taken care of? But if they have great education, opportunities, if they're healthy people, I'll be well taken care of. If this city prospers, I'll prosper. The culture that comes out of cities is going to affect everyone in the whole country. We talked about that last week. If we can bless the culture of Philly, we can bless the whole country. So even even if you're here just for two years for school, realize that all the people around you, the youth, the businesses, the culture... Are the people and things that are going to shape your world for the rest of your life? Invest. Invest while you can, because if the city prospers, so will you. To make our great city even better, we need to be a bridge building community that stands out because of our connection to Jesus. And as we are, our hope and our expectation is that shalom, the shalom of God will break out, will begin to spread and grow and our great city will become even better. We'd be fools, fools, not to invest in this. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the great blessing it is for each one of us to live in the city, be connected here. Father, may we see that and realize that even more during this time of our lives, even if we lived here our whole lives, see it in a new way. But as we do, I pray it would encourage something in our hearts to get outside of ourselves in new ways, to invest in what this city is, to see it grow and prosper. Because if it does, we all do. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, If you're on the worship team, if you go ahead and make your way forward, that'd be awesome. I want to take this time, before we move into a time of taking communion together, uh, to invite representatives from our prayer team to come forward. So we have a team praise before the service. They ask God for impressions that will be encouraging to the whole community, but particularly even to individuals. And sometimes they're right on point with where, uh, where you might be in your life. So, Emily.